Good morning. You know what I find interesting? Uh, these, um, these warnings about standing on solid foundation and sand come right after probably the most important teachings that we have in the Word of God. And to me, it's a faithful reminder that we cannot just take in the Word and just, you know, let it dwell within us and have knowledge. And this is why Paul said, knowledge puff it up. If the Word of God does not come alive in us, if we're not obedient to it, there's no point in it. And it's like Jesus said, well, I've given you all these teachings here. And only a man, the man that does it, that listens to it and does it, is like this man that has a foundation. <clears throat> so this is, it's a very, to me, it's a very sharp warning on, on the word of God. And in, in even our, our whole life, our destiny, we're here, how long? Compared to eternity, but for a vapor. Compared to eternity, that's all we got. And, um, and God has given us this word to be obedient and to live by it. So again, welcome everyone um, to the guests. Um, last time I was up here, I spoke about the armor of God. And I spoke uh, quite a bit on preparing, putting on the armor of God, being sensitive to the battle that is right in front of us. And more importantly, seeing day by day how important the armor of God is. And so today I want to call it a part two and call it warfare of that. And what I find when I look at our lives, when I meditate on a Christian's life, we say warfare. And the reason I say warfare is because Paul used militant terms when he spoke about the armor of God. Because the enemy is out to get us. And, and we like to talk about these things. We like to talk about the protection of God. We like to talk about going to heaven. We like to talk about being safe. Every parent wants their children to follow the Lord. Every parent wants their children to find the Lord. But... Will we do what it takes? It, it, and it lines up very much with the opening. What it takes is taking the, the teachings of Jesus, our Lord, and make them come alive. Warfare, to most of us here, you'll be surprised, is a very practical day-by-day -day working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So this is what I want to talk about today, and 
Um, before we do that, I would like to pray. We can all rise to our feet for a prayer this morning. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We want to worship you. We want to exalt your name. We want to come before you in the name of Jesus, who made this possible, who came to this earth. He died and he rose again for our salvation. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray again for this morning that your word may speak to our hearts. That your word may bring to attention the, sign, the times we're living in, the signs of the times, Lord, that we may see. Lord, we pray that we may see that we are in a battlefield. There is an enemy that is out to destroy. There is an enemy that is out to destroy what is good and what is yours, Lord Jesus. And we love your promise that you have in John chapter 10, that no man shall pluck them out of my hands. And Lord, we pray that we can live by this promise, to be faithful to you, to be faithful to your word, and to let your word be alive in us. So Lord, we pray for your presence here with us. We pray, Lord, that there's no room for the enemy in this room. And we pray, Lord, that you may minister to our hearts, that your word may come forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, to make things clear, here's what I believe. That every believer that is, in all sincerity... Heeding to his own salvation and the salvation of others will be engaged in warfare. I don't think there's any other way. When Jesus came to this earth, the principalities, the powers were on him when he was just a baby. They knew there's dangers. And for us, Scripture commends us in Acts, he was speaking to leaders to take heed of yourself and to the flock of God. And I believe every believer where the Spirit of God dwells and can richly move will take heed to his own salvation and the salvation of ours. And to such a person, the armor of God is of utmost importance. So... <clears throat> Maybe to review a bit, the reality is, like I said, that we have a short time here on earth. And like I said, if we like it or not, we're in the midst of a battle. If we like it or not, <clears throat> there are two kingdoms, and we are presiding in either one of them. Some of us sitting here this morning could very well pre be presiding in the kingdom of Satan. Most of us, I pray, are presiding in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. There is no sitting in between on which side will I go. 
There is no such a thing. Either he has us or he's trying to get us. And what I found in my short life is if he has us, he would probably not put much fight on unless he's out to totally destroy us. But if we can grasp that very reality, there's only two kingdoms. Only two. And the peace of God, the peace of God will tell us in which kingdom we are. If the peace of God reigns in us, the peace of God, not convincing I have peace, the peace of God reigns in us, we most likely preside in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> it is where love reigns, peace reigns, joy reigns, and when there's engagement in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> we don't sense the urgency of a battle when the enemy has us where he wants us. We can all, I think we can all relate to that in these times with media, technology, that, and it works like drugs, alcohol, and everything. The enemy uses these things to numb our minds. He uses sin to numb our minds, but there'll be no peace. He, 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 he pricks our hearts. He convicts us. And then we turn to movies, entertainment, and then we quiet the pricking. And then we're good for temporarily. We're pretty good then again, but there's no peace. We can be sitting on the sidelines of the greater picture, being preoccupied with self or self-indulgence activities, but it leaves an emptiness that we try to fill, and it just doesn't work. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I love that second song a little bit too much, sang my heart out. <clears throat> Got my voice there. So, I believe, man, I believe one of the ways to survive spiritually is to be part of the battle, is to do something. I call it engaging, investing in God's people, in the church, in people. Without that, we'll not survive. We can read scripture all day long. And have you noticed when we read scripture, it usually directs to other people. For example, <clears throat> when David fell into sin with Bathsheba, <clears throat> we read in the beginning of the chapter in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it happened in the spring of the year at a time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Job and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Reba, but David remained at Jerusalem. At the time when kings went out to battle, he stayed home. We know the rest of the story. <clears throat> Complacency will not be part of our survival package. Will not be part of the package that endures us to the end. 
<clears throat> so, in our life, it's the same thing. But I feel it is way more subtle how we can get lost with being involved in the battle. But let me assure you, the consequences are there and maybe greater. We get so lost. Let's be honest with ourselves. We know ourselves. We can get so easily benumbed up <clears throat> our conscience getting hard so easily we don't even know it. When the kings went out to battle, go out to battle, we stay at home. We fall. And then we try to get out. And it's hard. It needs the heart of David of Psalm 51. The repentance and the crying before the Lord even to get out. And still, the, other walked to inside, uh, the prophet walked away and said, there will be consequences. <clears throat> so God's people, for God's people, there is a battle. The armor of God is to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. I'm not sure if we did anything last time about the message. I don't know. About the armor of God. One thing that I walked away with, that we have to do something about it every day. When the word of God touches us to put on an armor, when the word is being preached, it tells us how serious we are. What did we do about it? <clears throat> if we don't do anything, there's no armor. If we don't take the words of Jesus serious, there's no standing in time of trouble. If we don't take the words of Jesus and do them, there's no standing in time of trouble. <clears throat> but I'll go through this, the armor quickly here. First, there is girding our loins with truth in order to stand. The belt of truth. Truth is the weapon we use against every wind of doctrine or the deception of the world. We pursue truth. We are honest with ourselves. We embrace truth instead of being offended by truth. We embrace truth in humility, and it gives us strength to stand when the enemy comes, when deception comes. If we don't have truth, the biggest, the, the worst place a believer can be is in a deceptive mood. Deceived, we do not know if we're deceived or not. This is why it's a bad place to be. The worst thing a believer can do is to be offended by truth. And our flesh, in its natural state, will be offended by truth. But it's by the grace of God, by the power of God, that we embrace truth and we let it minister to our hearts and we let it come alive. <clears throat> On top of that, Jesus said in John 16, 13 to 14, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and thereby should be one of our characters. We embrace truth, especially when it comes to dealing with our flesh. Okay, the breastplate of righteousness. 
Righteousness is put on by the right practice of true repentance. It's to put on Christ. It's to live and exist in the grace of God, redeemed, forgiven, and live unto Christ. It is choosing righteousness under any circumstances. It is choosing to be obedient to Christ and to the Word of God under any circumstances. Even in the secret of our lives, in the secret of our bedrooms, in the secrets of our mobile devices, we choose righteousness. <clears throat> if we don't, the most vital armor is missing. Protects the most vital organs, our hearts, the, the heart of who we are. Number three, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That takes preparation. It's a lifestyle. Choices we make. It's a day by day of pursuing Christ so that when the evil day comes, we'll be able to stand. And the important word here is preparing. As we examine ourselves, we need to find these patterns of pursuing Christ in every aspect of our life. So that when we engage in the battle, we will have confidence of who we are in Christ. It's having peace with God and knowing who we are in Christ. We have peace with God through the blood of Christ. That is preparing our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should be familiar with the working of the gospel in our lives and to be able to minister it and to be able to be confident in time of need. <clears throat> the shield of faith, above all, he said, the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In Hebrews 11:6, he said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We believe in the commandments of God. We believe in the promises of God. When the enemy targets us with his darts of doubt, hopelessness, lies, accusations, we continue by faith because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has promised us. We continue by faith. Faith is important. When doubt comes, when lies comes, when accusation comes, the shield of faith goes up. Said, Lord, you promised, I will believe you. We're not intimidated by his darts, but trust in God that he is true and faithful. <clears throat> the helmet of salvation. Standing on the truth that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Not only that we, that, but we may live a victorious life to overcome sin. The helmet of salvation. That we're no longer slaves to our flesh, to sin. He has broken this power. And we cherish this truth and know Christ is our Redeemer. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <coughs> the Word is our offense, offensive method. The Word of God is our offensive method in propagating and ministering the Kingdom of God. When we minister the word of God, the Holy Spirit helps people see their sin and convicts them to repentance. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful. 
and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and mirror, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> yeah, it comes back to let truth pierce, separate, cleanse us. And true that the word of God can dwell richly in us. So again, what do we see here? He says, put on the whole armor of God. <clears throat> so after, this is just a challenge, no ends up, no nothing. Just so we get, get the point. <clears throat> I know it's hard. But after we talked last about the armor of God, how many of us armored? How many of us turned the dial up on the word of God? How many of us let truth rattle us so much that we change the patterns of our life? Righteousness. How many of us did something about righteousness? Removed iniquity, removed bad habits. <clears throat> this is just the gauge of how serious we are. This is the armor that God has given us, has equipped us for warfare. Every day we prepare so that in time of need we may be ready. We wash with the word and clothe ourselves daily with the armor of God. Okay, for our text this morning, can we please go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33. <clears throat> Ezekiel 33, Pensa. Pretty good, clear picture of how God sees our relationship with people around us. Now, we have to remember that God spoke with a prophet here. But when I look at the new covenant, I feel we are called to fill, each of us are called to fill a role in the church, which is his body. In Ephesians 4, for the perfecting of the sins of God. And I, I believe a lot of times when he spoke to prophets, we can take these warnings even upon ourselves. He poured out his spirit in the new covenant on his church. So Ezekiel 33, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land Take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. So he's talking here about simply making a watchman in time of war. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. 
but he who takes warning will save his life. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, a wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if your transgressions and your sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? This is a warning. How about we look at our own house? How about we look at the house of our brothers, the church? This passage gives us so the urgency that God presses these convictions upon our hearts and what do we do with them? When we see sin, when we see wrong, when we see destruction, when we see hurt, what do we do with them? And on the other side, if we are warned, what do we do with it? Do we repent? God has no pleasure in seeing the wicked die. He wants everyone to come to repentance. It gives us such an urgency of the short time we have here in this earth, the life that we're living, to be honest, to be engaged, to see hell for what it is, to be honest about it, to see truth for what it is. I believe these verses we can apply effectively in today's in our in our today's world. And we might excuse ourselves and say, well, I'm not Ezekiel or any prophet like that. I'm not a watchman. Well, maybe we're here then. We hear. We hear the watchman, we hear the trumpet. We hear the trumpet singing, the enemy is coming, the enemy is overtaking. What do we do? The hearer of the warning has a responsibility. Jesus came to suffer and die for us. He has compassion for all of us. He seeks to get our attention. He wants to warn us. He wants to draw us. 
do we see? Do we hear? We're living in a torn apart world. I'm sure I, I'll be saying this with every generation, sin abounds and it's getting worse. But <clears throat> I believe we can say that truthfully because I believe the closer we get to the returning of Christ, the heat turns up on the enemy. When I look around and I see generation of people being totally numbed and destroyed by the influence and the sewer of the world, it's devastating. If there ever is a time to be a watchman and be alert, it is now. So today I want to point out when the watchman blows the trumpet, I want to point out three levels in our life where we can engage, where we can be vigilant. And to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Number one is, is a personal level. And that is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So many times we hear the word, we hear warnings, we hear prophesying. And we, we don't work. The enemy has us. But on a personal level, this is a battle. It is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing how vulnerable we are. We may think we stand. The Bible warns us. But be careful, you're probably going to fall. It's working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The second level is at the family unit level. That is the functioning of the home. And every man, member in that home carries responsibility according to the word of God. And once we come to the knowledge of the truth, we all carry responsibility in providing a godly atmosphere in the home. Once we come to the knowledge of the truth, children, parents alive, we carry a responsibility. I believe that is probably one of the biggest weaknesses in the church. It's a weak, huge weakness in our church. It's the functioning of the home. It is the... To battle laziness, to battle idolatry, And to step up and be a warrior in the home. With a simple step of faith. Children, today we're going to come together and we're going to pray. 
Does it get simpler than that? Children, today we're going to read out of John chapter 1. Does anybody hear something complicated here? I don't. Today we're going to read this book by this brother who has walked before us. He's going to build us up. I don't hear anything complicated. But I do know neglecting it will bring ramifications that will go into eternity. As sure as I'm standing here, I'll guarantee you that. And the pressure, the honest lies on the father of the home. Not the mother. She supports. She brings to the table. She adds. She's a helpmate. Number three. The church level with God's people. As in the home, every single person carries responsibility. Every member commits, contributes. This whole idea of contemporary Christianity, where we come together on Sunday, and we hear the preacher say a few things, and then we go our way and live our own little happy life. The preacher is the church. We all know that we don't agree with that. We believe in the functioning of the body, in the functioning of individual members, working, fighting for the same purpose, striving for the same purpose, and being in it. Keeping these three levels healthy, would you agree with me that this is a battle? Amen? Okay, let's look at them a little bit. <clears throat> Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's got sins there that are very, very known, very familiar, very common. And this verse just makes me want to realize how much we should heed and adhere to these warnings. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I believe that inheritance starts living it right now. Being part of the inheritance right now. And we can see that. If... I will be serving together with my brothers and sisters. You will see that I mean it. I've inherited part of the inheritance. But if I'm lost in idolatry, fornication, covetousness, covetousness, you will know that I'm not part of the inheritance because I got my mind somewhere else. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to be on guard continuously to keep our inheritance clear. So let's take a look at the personal level. The Word of God warns to take heed and to continue in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to yourself 
and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, you will, both, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And again, that's speaking to a young bishop, but I, I, don't, I hate to separate the standards from here to here. It's a body. What kind of battles does a person have? Well, we know already from experience from the word of God that there will always be a battle against our flesh and against the enemy. And that's why Paul warned in Philippians 2.12 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our lives are a journey. And we have to look at our lives as a journey. Recently, we've been reading the children's version of Pilgrim's Progress at home. And it's nice and simple and easy to understand. But I am again reminded that as we pursue Christ, the enemy will try to get us in every way he can. He, he will simply try to put a roadblock, distraction, any way he can. If he has gotten us, then we'll probably be left alone for a while. Or he doesn't want us, because he doesn't want us to conquer sin and that. And as long as we're not growing or working out our salvation, he's good with that. We're not on a journey. We're distracted to the side. He's good. So as believers, we need to... The armor that we read about in Ephesians 6 more than ever. To protect the life of God in us, that takes diligence and discipline. As I said, the biggest enemy is our flesh. When we encounter verse in the word of God such as, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its loss. How does that work? Or, in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who, despite, who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. How do we do that in the flesh? Brothers and sisters, this is the battle. You will not one day be involved in some big, mysterious battle. This is the battle. On a personal level, it's our flesh. How do we put on Christ? It's a commandment. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Love your enemies. I believe... Love is the simplest way to illustrate. Let's be honest with ourselves. God can only work with honest people, honest and humble people. And if we, if we struggle with loving someone, what do we do? Part of our Anabaptist background will say, well, I love everybody because the Bible says I should love. But do we love? If we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, well, Brother Henry here, or I don't know, any just anyone, I don't love him because I have a problem with him. Ah, the Bible says I should love him, so I love him. 
No. If there's an issue with Brother Henry, then we tell the Lord, Lord, I need help. I confess I'm falling short. I confess, Lord, I have sinned by not loving my brother. Can you help me, Lord? I need your grace. And when God gave us his Holy Spirit, when we came to him, when the miraculous salvation happened, where Christ came into us and he broke the power of sin, he gave us the grace to love the brothers, to love our neighbor. But we can react in the flesh and we can die. As scripture says in Romans 8, to be carnal-minded is death. We choose to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. We live. And such commitments as love, as the Holy Spirit brings to our heart, we choose to obey and we live and we walk in the Spirit. And therefore there's no condemnation. We create a culture. We create a character that is Christ-like. Every believer has to cultivate a culture that is totally different from what we knew in our former life. <clears throat> when we served our flesh, unless we still serve our flesh, the similarities, the before and after, will be very similar. <clears throat> so now our life needs to have Self-discipline or self-discipleship, where we commit to studying the Word of God. Prayer time, that is to nourish and to protect the life of God inside of us. So we have the grace of God to protect the life of God in our brothers and sisters. Not only that, the Bible commends us to be like Jesus. As we heard last week, to let the mind, which was in Christ Jesus, to also be in us. Jesus represented something totally different than what we are in the flesh. To be like Jesus is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And that is a battle in itself. Until this flesh will be in the grave, it will be a battle. And if we're not willing to take up that battle, as I just said earlier here, the examples, we'll die. A warrior that doesn't fight dies. To be like Jesus is to serve our brothers and sisters and to have an internal mindset that goes beyond the here and now. Colossians 3.1 If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. The New Testament is full of commandments and guidelines on how a believer should walk and conduct himself. So brothers and sisters, that is the battle in our life. The more we adhere to that, the more growth we will experience. So, before we go into the next level, how is that battle going? If we have confessed to be sold out for Christ, does our life reflect that? And how are we fighting that battle when we're all alone? As I asked before, how are we fighting the battle on our devices? How is our battle on self-discipleship? That is just something to make, make us think here. How is our prayer life? Does the word of God carry any weight in your life? 
See, we cannot stand before the King of Kings and confess that we are diligent soldiers now. How do we stand before him when, return, when he returns as the Lion of Judah? God wants faithful followers, followers that, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And in order to be a blessing on the next two levels, this battle has to be fought. Otherwise, there's nothing to fight on the next two levels. The family. That is one part of the church that the enemy continually tries to destroy. Because God created the family to nourish and mature children up in the Lord. So that we may be used and give life, our life for his glory. And we, we, we are so used to that concept. We take it for granted. We don't appreciate it. But if that unit is broken, it's devastating. There's hurt, there's pain. It's a gift from God. And inside that unit, that family unit, there is a responsibility that lies on both parents and on the children. Colossians 3, 18 to 21. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter <clears throat> toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We can see the responsibility the wife has, the husband the children, and there's another one for us fathers, two of them, to minister to our wives and minister to our children. That is a something to think about, something to analyze our life with. And again, if we let truth prevail in us, we'll be honest and say, how am I ministering to my wife? As in Ephesians to cover in the word, to be that in the home. To the children, to minister to the children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, I'm going to read that in NLT. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. There is so much responsibility that falls on the father. There are so much consequences that a father can, can provide, good and bad. And if these things are not in order in our life, I hope and pray that God will give us the grace to repent. The father is the leader in the home. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. 
That again brings a, such an amazing responsibility for to the man to keep the home a place where the love, the peace, and the righteousness of God can dwell. A man is to bring the word of God to the family. He is a leader in prayer. He watches out for the soul of his children. He stands at the gate and destroys the evil that attempts to devour the life of our children. Those very children that depend on us for security, for safety. And again, we're living in a day and age. Fathers, you're probably losing the battle when it comes to devices. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't ignore it and think it's going to go away. The minute you have a son or a daughter living in your house and you are ignoring a device, you're losing the battle. I assure you, I'm 100% sure of that. Ignoring it does not fix it. Be humble, be a man, and ask for help. Our children want that. They want that security. I have not met a young person <clears throat> that is in the developing age that seeks out life where I had this responsibility on, including my own children, that said, I wish you would just go away, leave me alone, and let me be doing my devices I want to. Yeah, there's these times, I'm sure, when the wall hit the wall, but in the end, they come up to me and they thank me. Contrary to popular belief, that I, I, I can do that. All it needs is humility and ask for help. I understand. We're living in a day and age where technology has overrun us. But there's brothers around that can help. Don't ignore. If the ship has started to sail, at least sit down with everything on the table. <clears throat> no matter what our home looks like, we can be living in a rich palace or we could be living in a rundown shack. There is a man there that is recognized in the heavenlies and the leader and the protector is the father. He is a protector and shield for evil and wickedness. <clears throat> the fact is, protecting <clears throat> our children's souls is one of the biggest battles that many of us will ever fight. And we, I pray that in this very domain, the enemy dare not have any tool or evil that is there that goes against the principles of God. If we can look into the our domain and we find that there is evil, destruction, we are contributing. We are contributing. It's our domain, fathers. We're contrib contributing to the destruction of a soul. <clears throat> we are neglecting our fight, our battle as fathers. We are in a battle. 
The father brings structure, worship, and the word of God to the family. He brings guidance and discipline, especially to his sons. The mom is there to help nourish and keep the home, to help and support the husband. Proverbs 31, 27 puts it beautiful. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I think all of us can look at our mom and say amen to that. But I want to encourage you, moms. To my experience, moms are the people in the home that see things way sooner and quicker than us men. Now, I believe that's part of their gifting, but I also believe it's part of us men not being men. But nonetheless, we could be driving, want to go places in life, and we miss the small things. Our wife is there to say, hey, what about this here? What about this? I, don't, I think that's a little too much. But I believe this is when a wife flourishes, when she can enable when she's able to be that help me. And I want to exhort you, moms. If the fathers in the home step up and provide leadership, guidance, the word of God, prayer time, be there and be over supportive. Support. Be there. Don't neglect it. Don't try to have this hot dish on the table or anything like that, but support this time. Can always go eat. Can always clean the bedroom. But the time that we spend at the family altar will never come back. What we've missed is gone. When it comes to the wife, Scripture puts emphasis on submitting and reverencing the husband. And again, to me, that puts so much pressure and expectation on the husband to be a leader, to be a godly father and leader in the home. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 now. I'm going to use NLT. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. So we can see if the parents and the children in the fear of God uphold these home principles that the Lord will use it for the nature maturing of his children. He designed it this way. He created it. If it functions as he designed it, Children will grow up, they will mature in the Lord, they will be nurtured in the Lord. They will not bring their mother to shame. God put a design there. It's us obeying it from the parents to the children. Children have a responsibility too in the home. Let's never forget that. You have a responsibility. And that is honor. Honor, respect, and serve. And let the gift of God come forth out of you.
the church. As I said, the church is not just to live and exist. It's not a place to park and take out a membership application, use it for a hangout. The church is a name when God's people gather to encourage, exhort one another to remain faithful in serving the Lord. The church is the hands and feet of Jesus here in this earth. Just because for the time being the church experiences peace and quiet doesn't mean it will stay like that. The fact that so many believers have died and still do for believing in Christ shows that there is no such a thing in God's economy for just passively existing. If we look at the functioning of a church, which we can do here, we can see multiple ways that we can get involved. Now again, as I build, build on that, there's the personal level again, and there's the, the family. The church cannot be there and take care of every little intricate detail in a child's and in a young person's life. This is why God has the family. The church is a support, is a place where, yes, it's a, it's a nurturing institute, but it's also more of a, a kingdom feel to it. It's more coming to the offensive part of the church. And we can all agree that after conversion, that it's important and essential that for a young believer to connect or commit to a body of believers for guidance and discipleship. I've always said a sign of a true conversion is the willingness to plug into a body of believers and the willingness to sit at the feet of those who have gone before us. Those that can teach, that those that can minister. That desire will be there. And in our church community here, if you live here, it doesn't necessarily mean you're committed to a church or being discipled even. That again begs the question of how my walk is with the Lord and how much growth there is. So it depends on each one of you, depends on me, how much I commit, how much I strive together. It's something, again, that I think it's always been from the church's beginning that people wanted to join the bandwagon. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to join that bandwagon, but they weren't committed in their heart to go all the way and even lie to the Holy Spirit. It's always been this way, but don't find yourself in that bandwagon. Be there all the way. It's a part of the battle. The local church has to actively uphold the principles of coming together and take on the role of discipleship. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Whose responsibility is it to make the coming together, to make it real, to make it vibrant? Preacher, huh? No. It's so ingrained in us. When we come together, you come, you bring. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. 
He had an expectation that every believer is bringing something. Never mind neglecting it. We, we have to be careful that we don't neglect. And if you remember reading on in verse 26, his warning is of falling into sin, if I remember correctly. So it not only protects, it exhorts. It is a conscious, purposeful effort from all age groups. Now, of course, there's a few brothers that have to lead out, but bringing life to the con- congregation is everybody's responsibility. The functioning of the body is everybody's responsibility. The local church has continued to work and prepare for the Lord's work, to cleanse, to renew the minds from our former life, to the purpose of why God has called us and chosen us. It's the daily work. The local church is commanded to function as a functioning body, exercising the gifts for the perfecting of its members. This is a big one. We're not in the old covenant anymore. How many of us are just satisfied of trying to be good and come to church? The perfecting of the body comes when the gifts are being exercised and the offices are being filled. The local church is commissioned to be a city on a hill, allied to a herd. Hurting and dying world. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your, glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is again something we measure ourselves against. To be a light for those around. Do we draw people unto Christ? Just by the way our conduct is. The local church is to be a refuge and a soul as a comfort for searching and hurting souls. When the members are not engaged or lukewarm, there can be no such a thing. If the first two levels are neglected, there is no such a thing in the church. Because the only help there is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The church represents him. The church has to be prepared to reconcile and bring healing between God and the sinful and fallen people. The church has to be that tool. When we operate in the flesh and we see that, we like to clean our hands, have somebody else do it. But that is the church's responsibility. The church is to be the reconciliation between God and man. With all these functions, we have to ask ourselves again if we're fighting the battle, if we are playing a role in the battle. Our salvation has to be worked out with fear and trembling. We have to provide a safe place where our children can grow up and mature in the Lord, that is the family. We need to provide an environment, which is the church, where God's people unite, be there for one another, and conquer territory for the king. This is a picture that shows every area of our life we need to take heed for the saving of our souls. We all have these responsibilities. 
for the saving of our souls. And away with the low expectation. Away with the faithlessness. Ephesians 5.15 in closing. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is the kingdom of God being lived out. Amen.